Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, a 30th. Time for the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and Leroy with me from Pittsburgh Power this morning. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. If you have a question about engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. We're going to hear from Bruce and Leroy, then we'll get to your calls, so line them up. Phone lines are open, 855-950-3835. Bruce, you're first up on the board this morning. Good morning. Uh-oh. Can everybody hear me, Bruce? You there? Yep, yeah, there we are. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, am I on? Are we on? You are. Yes. Good morning. Oh, okay. I had to walk to the refrigerator to get something to talk to you about one of your products. Ah, which one? It's Burroughs Cinnamon Maple <laughs> Organic Almond Butter. <laughs> is that Not stuff really, crazy Kevin. or what? Is this stuff actually healthy? It is. As sweet as it is? It, it is. It's a, it's a little on the sweet side, but, you know, we eat so low carb all day long that a nice treat like that. Have you put it on the uh, monkey brittle yet? Oh, I'm afraid to do that. Yeah, you should I be I like afraid. monkey brittle the way it is if I put this, <laughs> if I put this on. I put it on celery. Oh, yeah. Every day I have two sticks of celery with this on it. I mean, this stuff is, anyone that's never tried this cinnamon, cinnamon maple Almond butter. I like almond butter plain. I love cinnamon. Cinnamon, the, the smell of cinnamon, mulberry, and vanilla are my three. Oh, yeah. When I buy a candle, I either buy one of those three, but uh, this stuff is phenomenal. It is. Okay. Yeah. So, and, so and what I wanted to say. What, one oh, other, th- yeah, just one other thing that's interesting about that company. They are the only regenerative almond farm in the world. Re- hmm. And regenerative goes way past organic. Regenerative is where we're improving the land we're farming on. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, it sure is good. Anyway, uh, sometimes you, you find a problem on a diesel engine or any engine, and you buy the new part, and you put it on, and you assume everything's going to be okay, and you still have the same problem. And this just happened with Chris Polk, along with Larry Long, and with Blue Ribbon, D-Deck for Detroit, oil in the radiator, diagnosed it as a, we didn't have it in here, but uh, Chris and whoever he was working with, and they do a great job of diagnosing problems. Sharp guys. Um, we diagnosed it as the oil cooler. Bought a brand new oil cooler. Cleaned the truck, cleaned the engine all out. We talked to them, talked to them about how we do it with thorough flush and to get all the oil out. And <laughs> same problem. Really? They had a brand new oil, a brand new oil cooler that was bad. Oh, okay. So I, I was just about to say, well, you know, in, in troubleshooting, we always start with what's the most likely cause and something mm-hmm. like this, not that difficult to troubleshoot because there are only a few places in the engine where you could mix oil and coolant. And this is the most likely. I guess we just have to remember that you can get a bad part. We've talked about it with injectors, you know, pretty common, but I, I don't know that I've heard of a bad oil cooler being, you know, a new oil cooler being bad. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Hey, did you get that little video I just sent you? No, I don't see anything. Sacramento Fabrication, Yuba City, California with the 57 Corvette? No, I, nothing came through yet. Did you text it? Yeah, I sent it to several people. It's a huh. monkey turning wrenches sitting up on the engine. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> I don't forward a lot of these, but this one I had to send. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. All right. I sent one to Paul, so I'm sure if Paul's not driving, when he, he gets to see it, he'll probably call in and comment on it. There you go. Okay, we have a good friend of mine been doing business. Uh, Paul just sent, uh, he, Paul got it. He, sent the smiley face uh mike perkins he has a western star dd15 with an automatic i think the truck's kind of 2015 16 or 17 maybe michael call in it's been towed in eight times for the automatic transmission so he yanked it out and put a 13 in and then he towed it out so that leroy can do the rest of the conversion but uh what he he sent me a note on Messenger, uh, thanking for our friendship over the years, and you stop and think about this owner-operator segment in trucking. I mean, think of how many friends we've all made, even owner-operator to owner-operator. Look how many friendships evolved from the CMCs, and you know these friendships keep a lot of us going when you think about it. Sometimes you think, I'm done, I've had enough, I'm going to retire. But then you'll miss all these wonderful conversations we have with people with like minds. And it's it's very rewarding industry to be part of. And you don't realize that until you've been in this for, for many years. So. I agree. And uh, I think we've been in it a few years now. Yeah. Yeah. So. And uh, you can talk about this uh, this monkey on this Corvette whenever I get it to you. I'll try again, but we're going to turn this over to Leroy. And, uh, and unfortunately, it's just Leroy and I today. Got it. I think we'll uh, I think we'll be able to manage. Let's hear from Leroy and see what's on his mind this morning. Leroy, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. What uh, what's on your mind this week? Did every you know I forgot uh, I was I, I was going to mention. Did everybody have a good holiday weekend? I had a great weekend. I did a lot of yard work. I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm kind of thankful yeah. to be back at work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I I did a ton out in the garden this weekend because of the weather was awesome. But I'm actually not feeling that bad. I think I'm finally getting conditioned to it. I worked about not exaggerating. I was outside about twelve hours yesterday. And I feel pretty good. Wow. Yeah, it was a big day. Ate a lot of good food this weekend, too. Really good food. That's always nice. That, that makes it a good weekend, for that's sure. That's right. I did not have very much. Hey, Kevin, mean, that, uh, uh, excuse me, that's on Messenger that I sent it to you. In. Uh, oh, Facebook? Yeah. I don't, Messenger. Have, I don't have Facebook at all anymore. I have not logged into uh, Facebook uh, in months. Wait a second. I sent you that beautiful Freightliner uh, on... That was December 27th when I sent that to you. December? That may have been one of the last times I logged into Facebook. <laughs> okay. All right. You're not going to get to see the monkey turning wrenches on the Corvette. He's doing pretty good, too. Okay. Go ahead, Leroy. 
Oh, yeah. Like Bruce was saying, we got uh, an interesting little case out back with the Western Star that they converted it from the automatic. I don't know if it was an ultra shift or auto shift. I don't know what technically it is, but it's like a 2013 Western Star. And they put a manual in it. And I don't think that it starts now. I think that's going to be an easy fix. Um, I think it's mostly just looking for neutral. And because it's probably still programmed to an automatic. Oh, right. I and mean, if it doesn't feed, right. it's not going to start. So I'm assuming slash hoping that I can just program it to a manual and the thing fires right up. And then we can pull it in the shop and finish it. Hopefully that's how it goes. It's not more than that. I, the guy was. Let me eat you. I, I, I've often wondered when we're making that conversion. I haven't seen many of them done back to a manual, how the programming actually works. Um, it's pretty straightforward, actually. Is it's, it? Okay. It's a lot less. Than, um, it's really just a few, like, sort of customer changeable parameters just to tell the ECM, hey, don't use the, these set of maps, use these. Um, okay. And that's just a simple menu that says manual to automatic. That, and on the back side, it uses a whole different set of maps. So it's pretty straightforward. That seems pretty simple. You know, and that makes sense because they still build trucks both ways, so they must have a really easy way to just choose then. So it makes sense that there would be an easy easy way to program that. Right, and they make, like, as far as, like, the engine software, um, they're going to make an engine software that will work with both. That way you don't have to go back to the dealer and, you know, completely reprogram for an automatic. It's just going to have all the extra stuff in there for the automatic. Um, so it's the same file on both. It just, you tell the ECM, I want to use this set of maps or I want to use that set of maps. What, uh, are they, are there any complications in installing a clutch when we do this? Uh, you mean like mechanically? I yeah. don't think so. I clutch pedal when I was out there was already in it. So yeah, Mike, Mike and his friends did it all. They put the clutch pedal in, put the transmission in, okay. the shaft up and, Mike remind Mike said Mike's sixty nine years old, so he said it reminded me of my age and I don't wanna be able I don't wanna do that kind of work anymore. And he's an ex snowmobile racer from Madison, Michigan and I wanna get him back into snowmobiling. He says, I wonder if I'm strong enough to hold on. So. Huh. All right. So uh, along with this, uh, the worst mechanical issue I ever had with a truck in all the years I owned trucks and all the trucks I owned was an auto shift transmission. And if I could go back, knowing what it was going to turn into, I would have converted it to a manual. Not that I wanted to. I like auto shifts, but I don't think we ever got this fixed. I finally just got rid of the truck. Um, it had an intermittent problem that went on for about six months. Um, I had to have the truck towed in three times over that time frame. It would just lock into whatever gear it happened to be in, which was usually top gear. And then that was it. It would not shift no matter what you did. And as long as you could keep cruising at highway speed, you're okay. But at some point you had to stop. And then we were towing it back in. I spent 
Altogether, I think I spent $15,000 on that with uh, a Freightliner dealer. Now, it was a Meritor auto shift when they first brought them over here. Then they stopped using those here and nobody supported them. So trying to get answers on this, I, I felt bad for the dealer as well, but I was frustrated. 15000 it still wasn't working, all the towing. Um, the dealer at, at, at the end, when I said, look, I can't do this anymore. You have got to fix this truck and I can't keep paying you. And they claimed that they probably had 20,000 into it. They hadn't charged me for yet. What year was that? That would have been the Oh five. That was a Freightliner with a Detroit in a great truck. Yeah. Other than that, I got great fuel economy and. But wow, what a mess that was. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Hold on. Hold on. I, I'm getting two two issues mixed up. This was the Mercedes. This was the 05 with the Mercedes in it. This was the one that I never wanted. I ordered one truck. I ordered a, a truck with a uh, Mercedes non-emission EGR engine. And that's the only reason I chose the Mercedes was in 04 when I ordered it, that was the only truck you could get non-EGR at the time. Mercedes was still selling non-EGR engines. So I ordered that with a, uh, I don't, I, I think I had a, an Eaton auto shift in it. And then all the fleets were trying to grab those non-emission engines and my order kept getting bumped back. And by the time they built mine, they were out of non-EGR engines. So I ended up with an EGR engine. Then I ended up with this transmission that I didn't want. And it turned out to be the worst truck I ever owned. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, it was awful. That's what Bruce said about this morning, that uh, well, like how far auto shifts have come in automatic transmissions. I guess I don't know if it's fair to say automatic. It's not fully automatic. But the, the year range that you're talking about, like the 05, like all the way up to, I mean, if I was to recommend to somebody, I would say anything 18 and newer doesn't seem that bad as far as like the auto shifts go, but anything older than that, yeah, man, they all, I, they all suck. They all issue that you couldn't fix. They're intermittent. They didn't throw any faults. It was, they're all the same problems. And they all seem to be electronic. I mean, the problems are all electrical because that, you know, oh, yeah. those 13 speeds or the 10 speeds or the 18 speeds that are auto shifts, those are all just the same manual transmissions we've had forever. There's nothing different about the physical part of that transmission. It's just electronics and actuators that shift it for you. And that's where we have all the issues. Yeah. The, the new auto shifts are great. They um, are. The new I, modern, I drove, yeah. I drove around a, one of those new Mac Anthems. Um, I think it was a 2020. That thing shifted great. Yes. Um, love that. I drove some of the new Endurance. They're, they're good. They're good. Um, and, of course, the DT12s are uh, they're good. I think the, the problem with the DT12, I think a lot of people complain that they they don't like the way that it shifts, but I just feel like the engine doesn't feel like it delivers any power. Like it's very unresponsive to sort of any pedal input. It just feels sluggish. And even when you put a tune in them, they also feel just sluggish as well. So yeah. um, hmm. I think the DT5, that engine is kind of right. not very responsive. All right. What else we got today? Looks like calls are starting to pile up. That and uh, just one quick story, I suppose, if anyone is sort of um, interested. We had a, a DPS failure in the shop that uh, we don't see very often. And Jordan, who used to work in the shop, says he's seen it before. But it was actually the uh, the DPS itself 
what they it's what they call a substrate substrate shift, and it's sort of uh, when the DPF filter itself sort of push pops out the back, and it pushed so far out the back that it bent the outlet temp sensor, um, which it, which is probably a three or four inch shift inside nice. of the can that it sits. And uh, I thought that was pretty impressive. And they were asking, you know, what uh, what typically caused something like that. And besides, the only thing that I can really think of is just accumulation. Um, the guy just let the filter get bad enough that there was enough back pressure that it just sort of pushed its way out the back. Wow. Yeah, there's pictures on our Facebook of it um, and how far that it shifted. And you go, you can see where the temp sensor went into the back of the DPF and then bent it over. <laughs> uh, it was how bad it was. That's bizarre. Yeah. Apparently, it's. It's not a very common thing. Um, I think it's the first one I've seen, but so, I took a little bit off of out the shop. So, wouldn't I mean that takes a lot of pressure to move something like that? Wouldn't we have all kinds of engine and performance issues before that happened? Oh well, I mean the thing is littered with um, check engine lights. It's hard oh, okay. to say where to start. Okay. Yeah, I figured I mean, some. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's why this is rare. Somebody would have to let this go a long time with all kinds of other problems, I would think, before this would occur. I haven't done like a full sort of searching into this thing, but I'm assuming that the fuel pressure dropped because it had codes for fuel pressure low and fuel pressure very low. And generally when that happens, you get a really bad spray uh, on the injector, and then that leads to a lot of smoke. Right. A lot of smoke plugs up the and then, yeah, it will quickly. I, I was talking to Bruce, and I came up with that analogy: sort of push pops yep. its way out the back. <laughs> now, as soon as you said that, that was a perfect visual. I'm like, oh, I can see exactly what's happening there. Yeah, I just like the little ice cream. Just push yep. pop, just right there out you the back. Huh? Yeah, that was the only other thing. So, yeah, I mean, don't let. Uh, I mean, moral of the story: don't let check engine lights go because it could just be a. A fuel filter or something that was causing low fuel pressure, but now he's got a DPF that's ruined. So, does, you know, you got to just uh, be does, proactive. Does, does putting a piece of tape over the check engine light count as letting it go? Um, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Be of like the, the different types of maintenance, it's like reactive, proactive, um, preventative. I mean, there's, there's a couple different categories and, yeah, he's now at the reactive stage where it's broken down on, you know, and he had to have a toad and the whole nine yards. So it's, he's in bad shape. Got it. Leroy, are we still seeing many trucks on the dyno come in for power problems and it's a dirty fuel filter? Um, no, not typically because most of the older engines that people complain with low power. Yeah, it was funny. I actually got to see a 60 series with really low fuel pressure a couple of weeks ago. And we always say, oh, low fuel pressure leads to low power, right? And this thing had extremely low fuel pressure. And it, it was a little low on power, but you'd be surprised how much it made. But the symptom that it had with really low fuel pressure was a lot of black smoke. I mean, you would breathe on the pedal and it, was just, it would smoke out the dining room at wow. like 500 horsepower. I was like, how does this thing make 500 horsepower, only 500, and just blow this much black smoke? For as much as it was blowing, you'd think it made 1,500. Yikes. And what engine was it? It was a 12760 series. But I think it had like, real, at full load, it had like 25, 30 PSI fuel pressure, something extremely low. And it's supposed to have? 
Um, I don't know what it's supposed to have. I can't remember. I want to say 50s. I thought they were like 90. Yeah. Well, it depends on the RPM. But yeah, I can't remember. But I just know it was super low. We we need to find out to let the people know. So whenever we get a break, we'll have to, we have to find that out. Yeah, I can look it up. I just don't remember. But that's all I The Kevin commercial break, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are non-existent. I, I was just thinking about that today. I, I, For some reason, I'm already craving like a second cup of something hot. I already had my coffee this morning, I, probably because I've been getting up so early. Uh, I've been up at like between 5 and 5.30 now, which is good. Get some work done before the show. But I was craving something hot, so I was going to tell you guys, keep the conversation going so I can go make another one. That's the only downside to not having breaks for me. The bathroom doesn't bother me. I can go all day like that, and I don't mind not taking breaks. But every now and then I get a craving for another hot drink. So if I've got uh, people here, I'll let you guys carry the conversation, and I'll go do that. I may do that today. Who knows? A couple things real quick before we go to the calls. You guys done? Yeah, I'm done. Two two things real quick. I, I just I mentioned this when this happened, and... I don't want to wait for a, just a free-for-all day because I don't have one coming for a while. This makes me crazy. Bruce, do you remember, I think I talked about it on the open of this show. Maybe not. Um, there was a, a an owner-operator who was traveling to an auction out of state to go buy a truck, and he took cash with him. Um, I forget. I thought it was around $10,000. I'm looking at it. Uh Oh no, 40 almost $42,000. $41,680. He got pulled over for something minor, no big deal, but and he consented to a search of his vehicle. They found the cash and they seized it. They claimed it it was drug money and he knew they knew he was on his way to buy drugs with it and they seized the money. And I thought that is just insane. First off, the whole trip to go get the truck is screwed now. The guy doesn't have the cash in, you know, a time when having cash would be a really good thing. My my thought, though, was the guy's going to go to court. He'll get this back. It's a hassle. It sucks that they do this. He went to court and they ruled against him. He's not getting this money back. You're kidding. No. What, what, what state? What county? Uh, Harris County, Texas. Harris County. Isn't that Houston? Pretty sure Harris County is Houston. That that county that, that pulls over owner operators and hassles them and confiscates trucks anyway. There was a county in Texas that was doing that. Well, there was the the little town in Texas, little town uh, Childress, I think Childress, Texas, where I got busted in my coach. Oh, that's right. That's, yeah, I uh, I don't use a bank card. I I said to Debbie, I said I don't know how to use a Mac card, a Mac machine. She said they haven't been Mac machines for years. <laughs> well, I'm not going to stand there and get $200 worth of $20 bills. And what's that get you today? And we haven't, I know an owner operator and uh, he calls into the show, but we're not going to mention any names. He carries cash like that. Why, why can't we carry he cash? Exactly. Why can't we carry cash? Now, somebody's going to say, well, first off, at an auction, you either have to have cash or a cashier's check, one of the two. And mm-hmm. as far as I know, uh, 
So somebody will say, well, he should have gotten a cashier's check. Well, why? Why should I have to go to the bank and pay them when I have cash and the seller is willing to sell it to me? Why can't I carry that around? This is insane that they can just seize this money. Now, they have charged him with nothing. He didn't get a traffic violation. He got no charges whatsoever. Well, it seems to me like he is now... They just confiscated the money. He's not guilty of anything. I thought we were innocent until they could prove you were guilty. They haven't proved he's guilty of anything. That's not today. Today, you're guilty. You have to prove yourself innocent. That's a horrible situation. It is horrible. Unbelievable. It's only going to get worse. People really need to think about who they're voting for because it's only going to get worse. Absolutely. Elections have consequences. Uh, Now... That one really bothers me. This one is much more trivial. But I I was just ordering something, some small thing online uh, while you guys were talking. And I got to the end and there's a place to put in a tip. The, The whole tip thing is so out of control. Everywhere you go now with these little touch screens, you know, they flip the screen over to you to pay. There's always a tip on there. Well, first off, if I'm standing at a counter, why am I tipping anybody? Nobody's done anything for me out of the ordinary. And now I'm buying online and you want me to tip you? Hell no. So, I, I saw a thing about that, about the tip thing. And apparently, just off this video that I saw, they added it because if you give them a tip, the credit card company, whoever owns the machine, like the... the oh, the they get a percentage. Machine, that. So that's why they just added it to just guilt you into giving them a tip. So you're actually just not really a tip. You're getting percentage off that credit card company. Unbelievable. Uh, The one I saw the other day was it started at 20% and went up. Oh, Oh, I well, tip twenty percent if, if the waitress if the if the service was good, I tip twenty percent. Yeah, I did but too. If it's not good. When I was with Office Engineering back in the mid seventies, we were in the restaurant. I was with the head uh, engineer, and he was so upset with this waitress. He tipped her a penny. Yeah. And before we got out the restaurant, she came chasing us. He said his name was Will Strang. He was from the Seattle area. And uh, he said, I told you it would work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was 25 years old. <laughs> if, if, so if you don't like the service, leave a penny. They get the message then. If she, they, know, they, they know you didn't forget. Right. And right. they know you weren't happy with the service. Yeah. If she would have chased me down, I would have taken my penny back. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to warn people, though, because I, I was kind of ordering this stuff and it, it was like 50 bucks. Um, but I'm just clicking through and I see this tip thing and I'm like, well, that's stupid. And I click through. Well, luckily I checked at the end. It defaulted to a 10% tip. I had to go back and tell it no, no tip. If I wouldn't have been paying attention, it, it, th- this website defaulted to a 10% tip. Mm-hmm. Ah, unbelievable. All right. Let's uh, let's get to some phone calls. Ron, you've been very patient in Manitoba. Welcome. Morning. Uh, we haven't had pennies up here in Canada for a few years. So we'd have to give a minimum, uh, give them a nickel, I guess. But yeah, we should yeah, we should, we should gather up all of our pennies and give them to artists to make stuff out of copper. They're totally worthless. 
Just getting ready to do a clutch on a 2017 DD16. Wondering if there's anything on the back of the engine I need to look at. Is there a, a rear structure like the old Detroit's or? Mm. Yeah, not sure on that one. Um, um, I would have to look it up. What? Hey, what, do this. Why don't you run out and get out? Oh. <clears throat> Whose office are you in, Leroy? I'm in Eric's office. Why don't you run back and ask uh, Adam that? And then come nope. back to the phone. So you want to, you're putting a clutch in, you want to know if there's anything on the, the rear structure? Yeah, I just want to know if, if there's anything anything I can look at while I'm back there. Oh, okay. Could he be okay. replacing the rear seal or any gaskets, O-rings on the back of a DD-16 2017, did you say? Yeah. Okay. okay. I'll We'll find out. All right. We will uh, put you, is it okay to put you back on hold? Yeah, or I mean, or I can just wait to hear the answer on, on the show. I need to get back to work. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll drop you and we'll okay. just, we'll answer it on the air. Let's, uh, let's go to North Dakota. Brant, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? I, um, I guess I want to start off by singing the praises of JR at Pittsburgh Power. Um, I had my truck re-geared. I went to 264s, and I want to cover that topic a little bit later. But um, Detroit, uh, my local Detroit shop, could not figure out how to calibrate my speedometer. Um, first, they said I had an optimized idle issue, and they had to get clearance from Detroit HQ to get it cleared up. And, they, of course, nobody uses a phone anymore. It's all by email. So the odds of getting a response on a Friday afternoon via email is zero. So uh, the following week, I went back to Detroit. They got approval to disable my optimized idle to calibrate my speedometer, and they still couldn't do it. Anyway, this went on for three weeks. And finally, I called Pittsburgh Power, and uh, I'm not sure if it was JR or Leroy that I talked to that said, yeah, it shouldn't be an issue. We can, we can do, a remote, do it remote, remotely. So I went to a remote tuner, I think uh, less, less than an hour, but I had a spare ECM that I had set up for this truck, but I'd never used. And I said, well, let me get both of them all set up and make sure both of them work, because... It's a 25-year-old truck, so I like to have spare parts. Um, and it was probably an hour and 45 minutes to two hours, and I had both ECMs set up correctly, running my spare right now to make sure everything works, and everything works, and speedometer was calibrated. Everything's great. And I just wanted to thank you guys for having uh, remote tune options because I do not get to that side of the country um, and I just, I'm glad you have remote tuners that can fix stuff without having to drive to Pittsburgh. Excellent. Good. It, uh, it's really helped. It's helped on a tremendous amount of troubleshooting and JR answers the phone, uh, on the weekends. He'll answer the phone probably as late as nine o'clock Eastern time at night. Uh, he is fortunate. He's he said it takes him about two minutes to fall asleep and he needs an alarm clock to wake him up. So he is one of those people that gets a true eight, nine hours of sleep a night. Um, 
Kevin, we need we should try to study him to figure out why he can do that and we can't. Hey, hey Bruce, but, you, uh, you, you know there's something yeah. actually here. I'd have to look at a lot of the rest of his health data. He may be sleeping long. He's not sleeping healthy. There's one indication here, and it surprises people. You should not be able to fall asleep in under 15 minutes. No. T- 10, no. 10 to 15, no. probably not bad. But if you are falling asleep in under 10 minutes, and I know people who fall asleep in two, that's a problem. It, it should take you longer than that. And, and if it's not, it usually means you're not really sleeping all that well. And your body's just so exhausted every time you lay down, you fall asleep. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he um, he's a very impressive guy working with Leroy, and he comes up with lots of things. And he was the electrical engineer at Samsung Television, Riverside, California, when we hired him. Yeah, oh, he's he's incredible. It's amazing. Really I almost is. didn't hire. Yeah. I almost I almost didn't hire him because you know, he's a big guy, and electrical engineers are little people. But. Uh, I asked him, what, what did you know? What do you know about ECMs on trucks? And he said, nothing. Well, he was being honest. Right. And then he said, but do, do they have printed circuit boards? And I said, yes, they do. He said, then I can fix them. There you go. And I said, hold up your hands. Well, they, yeah, he's six foot five. He's got big <laughs> hands. And I said, you can solder those 128 connections on an inch and a quarter by inch and a quarter. Whatever that piece is, it goes in the Detroit ECM. He said, yes, yes, I can. Well, you have to give him a try, and he's brilliant. Yeah. And he's, yeah. he turned out to be a gearhead. I didn't know he was a gearhead. So being a gearhead electrical engineer, that just fits right in with our program. And uh, Sure yeah, does. He's pretty awesome, well, and he is really awesome on those remote tunes. Uh, there, There is a negative. There's several several remote tuners just like talking to him (laughs) his wife says it's not uncommon for him to spend three or four hours a day or more during the weekend on the phone talking trucks (laughs) sounds like you well i'm i'm very happy with it and um i guess i did want to briefly talk about uh gearing i did switch to 264s and that's what started this this uh pedometer issue um, what what did I, you have? I well, the truck started out. I originally the first fifteen years I had the truck. I had three fifty fives, and okay. I pull one hundred and twelve through the Rockies. And so when my diff kind of, I broke my rear diff. Um, or no, it was my front diff. I broke my front diff, and so I, I at that point um, I regeared to re- three seventy, thinking it would give me a little bit better through the hills. And I didn't see any difference in drivability or fuel efficiency or anything. And uh, so I, I talk, called and talked to Bruce maybe six or eight months ago about 264s running heavy. And he gave me two phone numbers of guys that are doing it. Uh, one guy had an 18 speed, which definitely that low hole helps. And another guy had a 13 speed. And so I talked to the 13 speed guy for quite a while. And, and he said, yeah, do it and don't look back. And so I did it. I switched to 264s and um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, the truck is much more drivable. I've only had the speedometer calibrated for two weeks, so I really can't figure my fuel mileage out just yet if there's a gain or not uh, on that. 
I've noticed on all the little hills, on just the little short grades, less than a mile, maybe less than 5%, um, I, I go up them better. I have a, a much easier time. I usually don't have to downshift. Sometimes I might, but uh, I, I go up smaller grades a lot better. On the big mountain passes, I do top them slower. Um, I, I'm probably losing maybe eight eight miles an hour by the time I get to the top from like, if I used to top it out at, at 32 miles an hour, 33 miles an hour, I'd get to the top of Ashton Hill. Now I'm getting to the top of Ashton Hill at about 26 or 25 miles an hour. So it's a little slower on the, the big pulls, but on all the other little pulls, it's uh it's great. Startability. I would say I'm at the limit. If anyone out there is thinking about, you know, going to 264s and they're and they're pulling heavy. I would say 112,000 with low pro 225s is about as heavy as you want to go. I wouldn't want to try to go any heavier uh, without going to an 18 speed and getting that low hole. That's good info. So I'm surprised when when you said you lost some speed on the hills. I thought you had gained on the long pulls. Yeah, on the on the long pulls, it it seems to like before I would I would drop I would downshift at about fourteen hundred and get the RPMs back up to sixteen and a half or so, um, and and I would pull in that fourteen to sixteen band. Now it actually seems to pull better in that twelve to fourteen band, and so it'll stay in that at that 1200 range for quite a long time. And once it drops below 12, that's when I drop the gear and, and bring the RPMs up unless my EGTs get too high. And then I'll, I'll drop the gear early. Um, is, is, this but, a D-deck, is this a Detroit? Yeah, it's a D deck four. Um, 12.7. out life is a 12.7. I start out life as a PK, but due to my ignorance about 15, uh, 10 years ago, I had it rebuilt, and I did not specify, and they put MK parts in it. So it's I'm going to rebuild it again this summer, and I'm going to be I'm going to be putting the PK parts back in it. And the PK, no BK BK, BK. Burger yeah, King. The, the BK, right the BK and the PK the compressions are are the same. They're both sixteen and a half. They're not the fourteen. So it's only the MKs that are the fourteens. Are you sure? I thought the P. Yeah, I I checked with two different two different uh, sources. I checked with. And I I have confidence in both sources that the PK and, and the PKs were mostly. Uh, I'm surprised I have one, but they're mostly uh, marine application and or stationary application. They're they are okay for trucks. They're you know. Uh, I guess the DOT certified them for trucks or whatever, but they're okay for trucks, but they're not that common in trucks. It's mostly the BK and the MK and the trucks and the PK and Marine and uh, stationary. And I don't know, I don't know all the ins and outs and the differences of them, but um, that's what my research has found that pr- only 10% of the PKs made it into trucks. Hmm. Hmm. I would, uh, I would still buy BK parts just to be sure. Okay. Get a BK serial okay. number. Um, call Dan, one of our parts guys. He can give you the BK number that we use, and uh, that's what I would do. Well, the, sil- the cylinder kits are the same. The, c- the cam might be different, but the cylinder okay. kits I know are the same. 
So, so I got a question for you. Are you running our manifold and turbo on this engine? Yes, and the mufflers uh, and the fleet air filters. I do not have a fast yet. The fast yeah. might go in with the new with the new engine. I might, you know, I'll have time. I'll have two months downtime, so I'll put a fast in it. What kind of truck is it? Western Star. Okay, good. Uh, I, I'm surprised. Are you running I-70 at 112,000? No, they don't let me run that down there. It's uh, I-90, I-94, US or uh, US-20, I-15. So North Dakota, why, North Dakota. if you're in if you're in direct gear to start with, why are you losing? Oh, how many pounds boost will the engine develop at wide open throttle? Uh, this time of year, about 40, uh, when it's minus 32 in North Dakota, it'll develop about 46. Wow. Okay. So you, you are making good power. I wonder why you're down. You're the first person since Kevin and I started talking about gearing indirect that says that they're down six to seven mile an hour at the top of the hill. It's only the big hills. It's, I got, I got like five or six big hills in my route. Um, it's only the big hills. The little hills, I, I am not downshifting on. I'm going up and over them without an issue. You know, I almost so wonder. So hills that you normally would come out, of, come out of 13th into 12th and then down to 11th, you're not touching the shifter then? I missed that first part. What was that? Uh, when, you, when you had the 355s or the 370s, the hills that you would normally – when you were running in 13th gear, you are 13 speed, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hills that you normally had to split a gear and come into 12th or 11th, now you don't have to do that, correct? Right, right. And so Kevin, Kevin uh, do you think it's because think he he is 112,000 versus a normal 80,000? I don't know. I almost wonder if there's a driving difference going on. Like maybe he's not using momentum the same way, but that the momentum really doesn't have a huge impact on a long hill. You're either going to drop a gear or not. No. But what, right. I, what I'm wondering is why, I mean, it's not making sense. We Overdrive is a torque reducer. So when we're in overdrive, the, the truck can't pull as well. It doesn't have the same amount of torque. We're reducing the torque available. When we go to direct drive, we have full torque. And when we go to an underdrive, we actually multiply torque. So it, it's not making sense that this truck would go slower up a long pull. And like you said, we've never heard that before. I wonder what the explanation for that is. But, you know, most of the people... Um, aren't doing heavy haul. True. They're going to the 264. But, but you would almost think mm -hmm. the the more severe duty, the more that direct drive would stand out. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, and when I'm indirect, it does. It definitely, I mean, on, on the little hills before, I would be in 12th. And, and now it stays in 11th and I'm up and over them. Right. Right, uh, but the, the, it's just the long the long pulls. Um, huh. When uh, when I'm when I'm not daydreaming or listening to Let's Truck or something, uh, I when I know the hill's coming, I will put my foot into it. I usually don't go up into twelfth. I'll usually if I if I can get a run at the hill, I'll put my foot in it, 
I'll get a run at the hill. I'll bring it up. I'll get maybe up to 1,700 RPM, and then you, you know, know start I, pulling. I, and it, so prior to the change, you would have been in 13th, right? At that point, instead of in yeah. And if, so I, I'm almost and if wondering I'm into a long pull. One, I I know on a long pull it shouldn't matter as much, but I'm almost wondering if it's the only difference is the amount of momentum we're hitting that hill with now. He's holding it back by staying in in twelfth when he used to be in thirteenth at that point leading up to the hill. Yeah, when when I would go when I had but the three seventies and I'd get ready for a, a long pull, I I put my foot into it and I would yeah. rarely use 12th at all. I'd let right. 13th You'd... pull down and so, then I'd skip 12th and go right into 11th. So here's what I want you to try today. Try that exact same thing. If you've got a big pull today, try that same thing. Don't leave it in 12th and run it up to 17. Do what you used to do. Put it in 13th and, and get a run at that hill and let's see what happens. Oh, he'd be speeding really going fast. Yeah. Well, if I put it in well, 13th at 100 but, It'll fall on its face. It'll fall on its face. It's thirteenth at one hundred and twelve thousand. Maybe that's the difference there. Then maybe it is that weight, and we can't use thirteenth to get a little more of a run. That maybe all that's causing this to make it feel like you're going up that hill slower as you are, and it's just because we're not getting that same momentum. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm down gears. I'm down lower in the gears, but I would expect to because I'm starting right. two gears down in the first place. You right. know, I'm starting in 11th instead of 13th. So, you know, well, I, think, I'm, I don't know when it comes to August and I have to go over the hills where I'm not going to be generating that much boost. What? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to have I may have to go into the low range on the transmission, which I have never what? practiced. I've never had to go into the low range quickly. But I guess I'm going to learn. Yeah, it's not hard. Just pre-select the shift. I mean, you just pre-select the button, and then you can shift just as fast. Um, but so I had hold on. I had another thought here, and I just lost it because of that comment. What was it? Um, oh, let's so, add something about the. So hold hold on, so I don't forget this again. What engine was this? Twelve seven. D deck four. Where's, where's peak horsepower on that 12. engine? Or peak I torque. Don't know where is factory? Um, yeah, I'm running, peak torque's fourteen hundred. See, he, I'm running the power box, so it may have, you know, the, with yeah, the power box, it, peak horsepower and peak torque may have diff, may have changed. But so here's cruising <clears throat> cruising RPM. I'm at fourteen forty. Is what I cruise at. So here's again what I Which think is happening is on this approach to the hill. You're running this thing up to seventeen hundred, and then. It's taking, it's going to take a while for that to drop fast enough to get back to peak torque. And I think we're that without the momentum and then waiting on us to get back to peak torque, I think that's why this thing's going up a long pull slower. Okay. When you were in top gear with 370s, you had more speed at a lower RPM. So you were closer to your peak torque. You had more momentum, and when as soon as the truck started to slow down, you were hitting peak torque. Now you're going slower, and you're further away from peak torque, and it's taking us longer to get down there. I think that's what this is. 
Okay. Uh, I can try. I'll, I'll try hitting the bottom of the hill at, at 14 or 1500 and see what that does. Yeah. Just try it. What, what about, what about if you hit the bottom of the hill at, in 11th gear at, um, 1700. That's what I well, would that's, try. I mean, that's what I'm, do- that's what I'm doing now is uh, I'm yeah, not, okay. I'm, when I, when I get a run at the hill, I'm not going up into 12. Uh, I'm leaving you, it in 11 want- and get right. okay. seven, up to about 1700. And I don't, I don't know what that is for speed, but it's, it's, you're, you know, you're doing it right. But Hey, uh, Kevin, did you notice back to this friendship thing that we had in this industry? I had them call two other owner operators and uh, they told them the truth. It's all part of that friendship thing. Yes. People helping people in this industry, in this right. owner operator segment. I agree. Yeah. And I thought, and from one of like last week, I was on a muddy surface. I had a farm delivery and I was on a muddy surface and it was on an upgrade. And I pulled in and I was trying to find the right gear and I couldn't. I came almost, I did, I ended up did coming to a stop and I tried to get it going and I stalled it. And I, I've probably, since I put the 264s in, I've, I've stalled it three times and that's probably, I've probably stalled it three times more. I've had the truck for 22 years. So I've, I've probably stalled it three times up until the point where I put in 264s. Um, but I, I did have to slip the clutch a little bit to get it going on that hill in the mud. Um, yeah. so, but other, that, other than that, I, I don't think it's an issue. Uh, when the engine comes out in a month, I'll take a good look at the clutch. I'll replace the clutch. Uh, but I, I don't think, I don't know whether it'll short, you know, having two sixty fours will shorten clutch life any or not. Uh, but it, it is what it is. If it's a whole lot more drivable, I, I can live with putting a clutch in every, you know, 400,000 instead of every 500,000 or whatever. Uh, you know, whenever we talk to somebody on the phone about switching to the 264s, 247s, 228s, we always ask, are you in mud? Are you in dirt? Are you in farm fields? Things like that. But So this was just, uh, you apparently aren't in that kind of condition very often, right? No, maybe maybe a dozen times a year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't yeah, want not, anybody not. to be discouraged back when the two sixty fours thinking they're gonna lose speed on the hill because that's usually not the case. It's just like it. you have an extra forty two thousand on your hauling and two loads instead of one. Yeah, and I'm 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 not I'm not trying to discourage anybody. I'm happy with the change. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhere in the back of my mind, I keep telling myself I'm going to go back to 80 or 86,000. Uh, but my life's getting pretty short here at this point. So I don't know if I'll ever go back to 80 or 86,000 or not, but if, you know, I, I'm okay with two sixty fours at one twelve, but I'm not going to be adding any more axles and carrying any more weight with it. What are you, are you seven axles now? Yeah, I'm seven axle a train. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. but I'm not. I'm not going to put a tag axle on the truck. If I put a tag axle on the truck, I'll only pull one trailer. You know, I'll pull a low boy or a, a double drop or something. I might go ninety to a hundred thousand or something like that. But um, well, you're you're asking yeah. a twelve seven liter to do a heck of a job, and it's and it's working. So 
I yeah, I I, I don't have much to compare it to. Uh, I've I've got another Mac. I've got an old mechanical Mac in a dump truck that I'm I'm happy with. But I've had this truck since 2002, so I I don't have much else to compare it to. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. Anything else today? Okay. Well, thanks a lot, gentlemen. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for nope, the call. No, that should do it. Let's go to Leroy oh, is Leroy back? Is Leroy back with that? I I am back. So yeah, to answer the guy's question about the uh, the the clutch when he's putting it in, yes, it has a rear structure and gaskets and a rear main seal. So while you're in there, um, typically what we would do is if the customer can afford it, yes, we take the rear structure off, put the gasket in, put the rear main seal in, kind of while you're in there, kind of stuff. Was that Adam that told you that? Uh, that was Rock. I couldn't find Adam. Oh, that's, that's good. Got it. All right. Let's uh, let's go to Texas. Rusty, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, thank you all. Uh, I got my 2001 Kenworth T600 with an N14. I got it all rebuilt, out of frame. We line board it running like a top new 13 speed ran it for two months and a loader backed into the side of it knocked the cab off the frame and totaled that thing i hate when that so yeah so i'm all of a sudden in kind of a financial tight and having to buy another truck and uh, i'm looking at i i would like to stay with those old ones but man they're getting hard to find and i've already spent a pile of money fixing that one up that I'm going to have to figure out how to recoup. Anyway, I guess I'm going to have to hold go on, with hold, some. Hold on. Wait, hold on one second. Um, I used to rebuild mm-hmm. demolished Corvettes, and I know guys that build demolished trucks, and I had a similar thing happen to a client, and it had a cat in it with all of our parts, and uh, they gave him a Volvo with a D16-600. He hated the trucking. He made them redo his 379. So if the cab was knocked off, is the frame mm-hmm. twisted? No, the frame's good. Frame's good. It should be fine. Yeah. Why can't we put a cab on it? It really just comes down to dollars. I mean, uh, insurance. Put- I'm still waiting to waiting to hear all that. But uh, I mean, I was imagine on, uh, how expensive this is going to be. I mean, you know, year, years ago, I pulled, I went into 43rd Street Concrete, a local concrete place that wasn't far from our shop, and we were a little bit slow. And uh, he said, well, we had a truck catch on fire. Do you want to put a cab on it? We towed her to the shop, and we put a cab on it. Um, so why can't you put a cab and a hood on it if it needs a hood? Well, I'm I'm going to I'm I'm going to try that. I'm just saying, to 20 uh, 2023, and whenever you did that, there's quite an inflation problem, and the way that these newer trucks are actually coming down in price, I'm not sure that I can afford to rebuild it. I want to. That that's still my goal. But I guess my question is, I'm looking at Cummins because the relationships I have with Cummins mechanics i'm looking at endurance transmissions is that a is that the the latest and greatest uh, am i correct on that yeah the endurance on the, the, new one. the endurance 12 speed mm-hmm. they 
They're a .77 overdrive, a single overdrive. And I'm looking at gear ratios, and it, it just playing with the chart, about 279 gears runs that thing at about uh, 1,200 RPM, a little under 1,200 at 66 mile an hour, and that's kind of where I like to run. Is that a is that where we want to run that ISX uh, performance, about 1,200 I, cruising? I just jumped to the 264s, bring it down just a little bit more. Yeah, you're okay with that. You, you don't put too much load on it, but yeah, I, I don't have any problem with running it there and at a cruising speed. I wouldn't run it like okay. that, yeah. But you know, I'm, I, I pull a super heavy pulling trailer as far as wind. I mean, I've you know I've I've got on my N14. It, I had 20 pounds of boost a lot of the time. Uh, I mean, even in a tailwind, I can still be dragging wind. So I want to I want to be I want to be safe with that. Because uh, I know that there's some head issues if you run that thing too low, or at least I think. There yeah, is. I, I, yeah. the little bit of difference between 279 and 264, we're we're still safe on the bottom end on that IS, ISX. We're we're not running down at nine. I mean, we're still going to be in the eleven range somewhere, which is that's not a problem on that engine. And I think it's just going to give you a little more drivability down there. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, uh, I know I'm supposed to get an oil sample and I, and I know that's in your, your book on how to buy a truck. I've, I've had six trucks in my 24 year career. So I I know a little bit about it, but this getting an oil sample deal causes a, a lot of potential waiting time. Um, yeah, I mean, with a truck with 300,000 miles, how important is a dumb question? How important is that? But um, it's almost impossible to do from a distance. Any advice there? Uh, say that again. I'm not sure I understand I mean, the question. Well, get, getting that oil sample, that, that pre, pre, uh, pre-buying oil sample of this next truck, if I have to buy one, um, how do I do that without a, you know, two or three week delay on well, getting that oil sample back? Is there well, any wait, way to expedite wh- an oil sample? Where are you getting oil samples that are taking two to three weeks? Uh, from Pittsburgh power. Really? They always take that- weeks rather than days. Well, but yeah, by the time it gets there and yeah. I mean, we, it takes a couple we, of days just to get it there. Well, okay. So, you you can expedite a lot of this, overnight it, you know, and then check email. We used to be able to get results in 48 hours. We Every year at the CMC, and I know we, you know, we had a little bit of inside help on that because we had so many of them, but we would roll trucks in, take oil samples on Monday morning, and we'd be giving people their results back on Wednesday. We overnighted them and then we would check email, not wait for a, you know, a response. We would just check our account. And as soon as it hit, it was within 48 hours almost every time. And that may have changed, but uh, let's say that there is a three-week delay. So what? How long are you going to own this truck? If it takes us three, and and I know the truck could sell before then. I'm probably not going to own it if it takes three weeks right now. Well, I... I, (laughs) It'll be sold. Uh, trucks are selling that fast. They, they, the ones I've called on with this spec, they, 
Okay, they appear some, to be moving pretty sometimes, fast. Sometimes, uh, yeah, some trucks will do that based on a really good spec, but I, I don't think there's any way we should have to wait three weeks for an oil sample. That, that I, I don't think I've ever waited three weeks for an oil sample since 1995. So I, 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 would, have, I, love, I would have to believe that no matter how bad things might be right now in shipping or the supply chain or whatever is causing this, that seven days would be maximum to get results back. Is, is yeah. there, Leroy, Bruce? I, there, I love the idea of... You, you guys are dealing with this more now. Is there that big of a delay in results on oil samples? Uh, it seems like when I send mine in, it's usually about two weeks before I get a result. Okay, so you're at two weeks. Yeah. Now, again, if we were to overnight that and then start checking email instead of waiting for them, I, I, I have to believe we could get this down to a week, worst case scenario. And for me, I'm waiting the week. And if I lose a truck because I didn't get the oil sample results back in time, then I just lose that truck. I'd much rather do that than buy a truck that had a huge problem and I don't find out about it till I own it. And now I'm going to look and go, sheesh, just because I didn't want to wait another week. I, I the whole point I, I, I of agree. doing this is to protect yourself but, when you're buying the truck. No, I, I agree completely. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to work at it, but, but Here, between here's, here's what I would do. That, here's what I would do. Right? Yeah. Before you look at another truck, I would call Polaris. Just call them directly and say, hey, look, here's what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I need results as fast as I can get them. What can I do to expedite this? And they'll work with you. That's a good idea. So on the uh, ECM report, what do I need to ask for so that I'm getting information about the after treatment, the regions, so that I can get as much information as I can? If you just wanted to know about the after treatment, you can ask just for the after treatment history report. But I think you're better off just asking for a copy of the entire ECM image. That'll give you the after-treatment history, current sensor values, trip data, uh, abuse history, duty cycle, um, really all the stuff that you would really want to know. For instance, you might get an after-treatment history report back that says all the after-treatments look good. They're every 100 engine hours, every 100, 150 engine hours with, you know, within three inches of back pressure. But... Then you look at the idle time, and it's like 40% idle time. So that's been a truck that I would maybe consider not buying because of like that. Um, so, yeah, I would just ask for the entire ECM image report. Okay. Uh, the, I mean, I'm a parts customer. Do you all have a program where I could pay you all to, to help me go through that when it comes time? Yeah, I can look through the report with you. That's not a big deal. Once you get it, it's going to be really long. It's going to be like 60 pages or something like that. And just email it to me, and then we'll give me a call, and we can breeze through it in 10 minutes. It doesn't take long to sort of look at the big things, um, and we can just sort of go from there. Okay, perfect. Um, I guess that's all I had. Uh, I'll, yeah, I want to – Bruce, I, want, I really was enjoying that truck. It was doing great. I got a great rebuild. So I, I'm still hoping to salvage that somehow, and, and we'll – just have to wait and see what the insurance is going to do. But thank, thanks for y'all's information. I appreciate it. You're no welcome. You're thanks. Welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Alberta. Mike, welcome to the program. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind? I called you about a month ago about an X-15 and I was burning oil in and a 2020 Peterbilt. 
and uh, I had 1,500 miles left on warranty. And uh, I just wanted to update you that we took it to Cummins. They finally did open the engine up, and I got a full rebuild out of it. Excellent. I I remember the call. Was it um, liner wear or carbon packing? Um, It was two things. They pulled the turbo and manifold, and uh, the exhaust valve seals were leaking on cylinders two and three. And then cylinders five and six, there was no crosshatch left at all. And they really didn't have a good answer why five and six were completely wore out, but the other four looked good. But then they pulled liners and uh, they had to cut all six counterbores. So then they were able to get the liner height up nice and high, I think 13 or 14 thou. And uh, yeah, the mechanics did really good rebuild. So. Isn't that generally because five and six are, are hotter? Isn't that why that they wear faster? They don't get good they, coolant flow back there. They told me that the way the manifold mixes the EGR, those two get more EGR is kind of the only thing they could theorize on. on yeah, that's why that manifold that we have for the ISX and the X15s makes quite a difference. Now, do you run the catalyst with this truck? No, I just bought it last August, and I've never ever made the leap and started running Catalyst in it. Ah, there you go. If the previous guy would have ran the Catalyst and you ran it, that wouldn't have happened. I'd certainly run it now. That'd be interesting. I got a good friend of mine. Yeah, I got a good friend of mine. He runs Catalyst in his 2020 Kenworth, and and uh, he's been having really good luck with it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, run Catalyst now that you're getting it rebuilt and uh, have them clean the DPF and you should be good for 500000 then and just have the ash washed out of it. Yeah. So, right on. Well, I just wanted to update you on that. Oh, I, Bruce, I got a question for you on, I got a 1990 Kenworth W900B with a 444 in it and I've got coolant leaks and it's going to need a radiator and thermostats and everything. And I know you guys used to do a high flow coolant conversion on them. Do you still, still do that or we still do? What kind of price range? That's easy back in, in total parts. That's really a peak question. He's not back with us yet, but uh, I think it's about $3,500 in parts. There are some parts that you can get used, and there's some parts that have to be new. Uh, If you go to do that right now, we'll have you work with Brian, our shop foreman, and he can get you taken care of. Because, yeah, like they wanted just for a pair of thermostats and to redo all the O-rings, the coolant o rings going down the heads. I think that was a thousand bucks alone just from from Cummins, just for the o rings and the set of thermostats. Oh my, my! No, it shouldn't be like that. Are you in Canada? I am. Yes. Yeah. Got to be careful of those Canadian prices. Can you pick up the parts in the U.S. if we send them to the U.S. somewhere? Um. Yeah, I got some friends in South Dakota. We could send them to. Okay. Good. Okay. You betcha. Awesome. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to California. Andrew, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you very much for taking my call. How are you guys oh, doing? Hey, hey, real quick. Um, I just got a uh, text from Matt. 
and Matt's been oil sampling for as long as I can remember. Uh, Matt says right now samples are seven to 10 days. So if we call and expedite that, you might even be, get, be able to get it down to five uh, if they work with you a little bit and you overnight it. He did say during peak Christmas season, it was taking more than a week just for it to get to the lab. So it was a shipping issue for a while. So I, I would go back. I would still call him and say, here's what I'm doing. Can we cut a day or two off of this somehow? And um, I've, I'm pretty sure you can get this under seven days. Uh, Andrew, go ahead. Well, my particular sample is really quick. I sent it in and I had it back in four days. That's fairly typical. I mean, that's so what I was I've never had. To. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, he's right. He's right around Christmas because it did take me a while around that time. But I, I always calculate that just because of the holidays. It just is what it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. but yeah, I had mine back quick. So yeah, I uh, sent you an oil sample. Uh, I've not discussed any oil samples with you before. I listen to you guys so much uh, with all the uh, information you guys Ooh. give over. I've been pretty much able to dictate myself, but I need you guys to kind of take a look at this particular one and tell me what you think. I think you've had a problem for a while with dirt getting into the engine. Has this engine been opened up recently? uh, It got opened up to do an injector uh, uh, recently, but that's the thing. is, uh, So when my dirt numbers were climbing, I went through and resealed, as uh, Bruce has talked about, completely took my intake system apart, greased everything up, reclamped everything. This is the oil sample and changed. We went over to fleet air filters, and this is the sample after all that, and actually dropped the point. Uh, wait. Went from 24 to 23. I see 25. Not that it matters, but I just want to make sure we're looking at the right sample. Uh, this, yeah, because this one here, yeah, 25 was the pre, was the previous one. The, the The newest one is below that. It says 23. Sorry, right. I dropped two points. Okay. I just want, not two points doesn't matter, but I just want to make sure I'm not looking at a different sample than you are. And you also, if you look, oh, no, you're, at all of your wear metals sure. are elevated. Now, not enough that they flagged anything except iron, but I don't like to see seven for aluminum, eight for lead, a little bit of copper. We got some chromium. That's all caused by that dirt being in there. So I'm wondering now if you're oiling. Or do you run in a really dirty environment? Are you off road a lot? No, I'm in a car carrier. Then, I'm on road all the time. Then either there's a leak, there's a breach somewhere where we're still sucking dirt, or you're not oiling that filter properly because we're dropping two points is not a drop. That that's just it could have e- just as easily been two points higher. That small of a move is just not indicative of anything. Not, I, I, not I, enough. Right. I would not yeah, assume that because I'm you sorry, went. Yeah, I would not assume that because you went from twenty-five to twenty-three, you solved the problem. I would say the problem is definitely still there, and we've got to go figure out what it is. Okay, so well, the fleet air filters—they're—they're they're due for service right now. I'm getting ready to, to pull them out actually this weekend, and, and it'll be the first time I've lubed them up. Um, that I could, that came out of the box already, you know, pre, pre-lubed and all that stuff. And I verified to make sure they did get done and they were done. Uh, so I think the only thing I can do right now is actually drop the oil and start from scratch. What do you think? Well, dropping the oil is a good idea because we, we, we do want to start with a clean sample, um, in a, in a clean environment, like you're talking about on the road, I have never seen a fleet air filter cause numbers like this in a really dirty environment. I have seen yeah, it. That's well, why I asked. 
Oh, yeah, I'm not putting on the air filters at all because it's like this one has 75,000 miles and my dirt was already elevated before. So I'm not even pointing fingers towards anything for that matter. Like I said, I just resealed the system, but I did not drop the oil after I did that uh, because I wanted to see what the next oil sample was going to be, which is this one here. So they're still elevated. So I need, and it, 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 I obviously, you need to get the oil out of it and start from get a new baseline, right? Correct. Yeah, I, I would start with a new sample. And if, if for any reason that, and I would sample early after you change the oil, if you're doing 25,000 miles, I would do 15. We want to catch, if there's still dirt in there, okay, we yeah, want to catch that. it early. Okay. Well, that makes sense what it is. So the next question I have is, uh, uh, so I have the Dorothy on here. I've been running the catalyst for, uh, I don't even know how long, as long as when it started actually coming out on the air near on XM. So quite some time, uh, there's only been my previous one where I actually opened up the Dorothy to clean it out that there hasn't been much in there. Cause I hear that a lot about uh, people who have the Dorothy and run the catalyst, but that's, that's an anomaly for me. I usually pull out a ton of carbon out of that, out of that Dorothy, even with running the catalyst. Um, I've never, I haven't called and asked why, uh, or, or you got any ideas why it would be doing that. Cause it has, it has your guys' tune and every, everything you guys offer the it's, it's been done. So I'm kind of still uh, perplexed why that would be. I'm, I, I didn't weigh it last oh, I actually brought my scale out to weigh it last time, give you guys an idea of how much in there, but it was almost empty. I'm like, oh, that's weird. And then this time I pulled it out. I didn't have my scale, but it was it, the typical quite, quite amount. I'd say a good say a good handful or more. Leroy, do you think his EGR valve staying open too long? Yeah, it could be something like that either it's a bad mix in the cylinder or it's getting some sort of bad reading from the venturi pipe which is a pretty common thing so usually once you clean that out it restores the egr system back to the way it's supposed to work so you actually get an accurate egr reading because if it's inaccurate then the ecm thinks that there's not enough egr flow so it opens the valve up more then you get more soot and more soot so it sort of starts the soot train so my first place would be to clean that venturi pipe. The venturi pipe, and that's where at? Um, so if you go up on top on the passenger side, what, what year was this again? 2014, I'm sorry, I never told you. Yeah. 2014 ISX. Yeah, so if you go on the passenger side, um, right up on top by the valve cover, you're going to see first the EGR valve, and then you're going to mm -hmm. see um, the pipe right after that. It It's a... Um, maybe like a two inch piece of pipe and it has two sensors in it. It has one that's like a small block. That's the differential pressure sensor. And then the one that, next to it, that is your EGR pressure sensor. I would take those out first, see what they look like. And then you can sort of look down inside the ports and see if your ports are pretty closed off with soot buildup or something like that. The next thing you can do without taking the whole thing off is there's mm -hmm. a shield on the side that has three 10 millimeter bolts on it. You pop the shield off yep. and there's two Allen bolts. You pop those Allen bolts off and then with like a little pipe cleaner, you can get in there and clean some of those, uh, the pathways out and then just spray it off with some, uh, I would just use probably just shop air or something, just blow it out. That gets a lot of the carbon out of it without fully taking it off. Uh, that's what I would do. Otherwise, if you have to, if you want to take it off and clean it off on the bench, you have to like drain the coolant or block it off because there there is coolant going through it. So it's easier if you just sort of clean it while it's on the truck. All right, I'll take a look at that, that this weekend. Yeah, because it's been doing that for. I mean, I guess I bought that that Dorothy years ago, and it, that thing's always had 
like I said, quite a amount. And it's never, it's never gotten less. It's never, well, the one time they got less, but it's always remained the same for, for probably a couple hundred thousand miles. Where's home for you? I live in uh, California, the Bay Area. No. As a matter of fact, so you, Roy, you actually just helped you just helped me out with that electrical problem I was having with my sensors over at uh, J&E Truck Service. And it, no. it, so that was it, it was a bad common ground, by the way. I've been meaning to call you and let you know. So we ran a new ground and everything was checked out fine. Oh, okay. Is that the one I scanned and sent you the schematics and stuff? Yes, sir. That's the one. Okay. So, yeah, it just was the, the common ground for all of them. Yeah, we just ran a new wire back instead of chasing it through the loom because that was just much easier. But, yeah, that cleared everything out. So you were right on target with that. I do appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. So back to the e. So this with this thing doing it for so long. Well, like I said, I live out. I live out here. I can't get out to you guys. I just haven't. Uh, I, I I run everywhere. I run primarily out here, but that's not stopping me. The truck's on eighteen wheels. I can go anywhere. Well, if I were you, I'd be making an appointment with Leroy and getting that in, and let's see why it's making so much sudden carbon. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Well, then what, what I'll do over the summertime, since we're kind of in the moving season, but the economy is kind of, uh, the load boards have kind of tanked as far as moving cars because everybody's not, nobody's buying houses and moving like they were a year ago, you know? Uh, yeah, I'll get that set up, Bruce. And yeah, because I'm, I'm curious because it's, it's not the story that everybody else tells, but I have a totally different story. Yeah. Like, I, like I said, it was kind of yeah. plaguing me, you know? Anytime we get strange calls like this, uh, the best thing to do is just get the truck in. Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah, I totally agree. So, well, then I'll do that. Let me uh, let me work on the next next little bit here and see if you're about getting out there. And uh, while I'm out there, I'll drop the truck off. You can take a little mini vacation while you guys figure it out. Can I go too? <laughs> Come on, truck. let's all go. Oh, no, wait, never mind. The truck's got to be done. <laughs> you got to fix the truck. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, cool. all right. There you go. We're going to move along. We're going to head off to Illinois. Jerry, welcome to the program. Well, I'm going to chime in and clarify the uh, turnaround on oil samples like a couple have them have anyway. And I've been doing Polaris for probably 2 million miles now. And I think my longest turnaround is a week, and that's weekdays. If I drop it in a box on a Monday morning, normally I'll have my uh, sample results back in my email by Thursday evening, Friday at the absolute latest. So I don't know what in the world anybody's doing, but say it's three weeks. That that used to be. Are you sending it right? I was. Do what? Are you sending it right to Polaris? Are you sending it here? Polaris. Yeah, I send it right to the lab. I use your labels that come right from you folks. Now, just a funny a funny side note is that uh, back when it was OPS, they always used UPS, and I I actually just by habit dropped it in the UPS box a couple of times before I realized, oh, hell, <laughs> uh, Pittsburgh Power is using FedEx labels now instead of, uh, end up, and the boxes are side by side, and I'd always just dropped it in the UPS box, and then I finally I sent a couple of them in, I dropped a couple of them in the UPS box, and they still got there, and I got my sample results back at the same time, but it wasn't until about two two of them in after Pittsburgh Power bought them that they started using FedEx, and I realized I was supposed to be dropping it into a FedEx box instead, but I still got my sample results back at the same time. So You know, my, my experience the UPS is... Driver. Go ahead, Bruce. Go ahead. 
apparently the UPS driver was a good guy and he'd see that FedEx label and when he was emptying that box and he just put it in the FedEx. Sounds like it. Probably so. We have some, we have some pretty good uh, people around. So yeah, probably so. So Jerry, what you just described has been my, my experience forever. I almost always pulled my samples on weekends and I drop them in on Monday and without doing anything different, I would always know they would be there by Friday at the latest at the CMC. Yep. We knew we wanted the results earlier so we could help people with them. And we were able to put them in on Monday. Um, you know, he had to get them in all done by Monday at like two or three in the afternoon. And they got them back to us by Wednesday. Well, you're special, though. That's right. We are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, that, that's all I had, fellas. I just can't. I don't know what in the world anybody's doing that to have them take it three weeks. Something, something's not right. I don't know whether they're just. I don't know. Something just not right. So. No, that's I, yeah. I, I appreciate the I, feedback from everybody because, I, like I said, I think if we look into this, we, we can fix this and we should be able to get him those results. Again, I would think if he can pull them on the weekend, get them mailed off, he'll have them back before that next week is over with. Um, I don't know what happened. We just uh, all the phone calls just disappeared. So um, anybody have anything we want to cover? Kevin, I was going to say, if anyone got to sit at your counter like I have and watched you cook, they would know you are special. <laughs> so watch how you work that knife and do everything, how methodical you are. And, and that was a long time ago. I haven't seen that for a long time, but uh, I'm, I always thought you were a pretty special chef. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it, and self-taught. You didn't go to chef school either. Never taken a single class. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, I talk all the time about how I was in high school. I specialized in study halls and food classes. I took home ec, I took <laughs> home ec two. I took advanced home ec. I took foods one and two advanced <laughs> foods. So between food classes and study hall, I, I had my schedule pretty well worked out. Where did you go to yeah. home ec? Uh, I went to school in a small school too, but we had all kinds of, we had, you know, shop classes, metal shop, wood shop. We had advanced food classes. Yeah. For a small school, we had some pretty cool stuff like that. Dang. Pennsylvania sucks. I don't know. I never had anything like that. And then in, in, in where I grew up and went to school in your junior and senior year, you had the option of going to a regional vocational school that was maybe 20 minutes. Actually, Bruce, that uh, vocational school was in Ravenna. You're familiar with Ravenna. Um, yeah, I am. And you could there, take huh? all kinds. I went my junior year for, for auto body and then learned enough and decided to go back to high school for my senior year and goof off that year. But uh, we had an awesome vocational program as well. Kevin Ravenna is where I had, and they're hard to find, was deep-fried green pepper rings. Oh, yeah. Are they good? Yeah, those are good. All right. Really we, good. We've got some calls coming in, so we're going to take them. We're going to go to California. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Hey, hi. Uh, any opinions on, like, a, a grinding sound um, uh, coming from an auto ship or, you know, an automatic truck? Which and which it only does it like which auto shift? Uh, well, it, um, I don't. It's automatic. I'm not. It's operating a Cummins, and it's 2021. You know. Is it but a 12 speed or a 13 speed? How many miles on? 
350,000 miles. What did you say, Kevin? 12 or 13 speed? Um, 12. Okay, so that's the endurant then. Um, that's new architecture. It only does it like it, from so, like 10 to 11, and then it started, then it started kind of doing it all, like in a, from uh, three to four, and then only always now in 10 to 11. Like not always so, every time, but that's when it does. So I've said I need to go kind of learn how these new modern transmissions are built. They don't have the dual counter shafts. It's a very different architecture. But the first thing I would do while we're trying to find somebody who might know where to look, I don't even know where to start on this transmission. First thing I would do though is pull an oil sample. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, because I heard you guys talking about oil. We're, we're at the mercy of um, Ryder, our company. We're company drivers. But, and, uh, but, you know, we like to learn along the way because we're basically well, operating. Be, being that there's, there's a carrier involved and then the truck's actually riders, you might end up paying for a yeah. sample yourself. But I, and I don't know that I would do that on their truck, but I, I would go back to them and say, hey, look, you know, for 50 or 60 bucks, we, we might be able to save you a lot of money. But I, I, they have all their own processes. I'd probably just let them yeah. deal with this. Yeah, I was trying to learn along the Yeah, it, 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 if you want to spring for 50 or 60 bucks for the oil sample, that's where I would start. Okay. You had a thought, Bruce? If you own the truck, I was going to say the first place you look, you're 350000 uh, years ago, dampers would start to fail at 380 if the damper was ever dropped or hit in shipping or whenever the installing mechanic at the factory might have dropped it. It can be bad, and the torsional damper will make those noises. It, the damper doesn't make it. It's allowing the part to make it. So I was going to ask you, is there anything else that vibrates or shakes in the truck, door locks or anything else? That might be a hint that it's the damper. No, no, it doesn't. Other than, you know, speeding at a freight line and shaking down the Did you post about this on uh, the tribe? Yeah, I did. And, and I tried to look, and, and it's like, it won't let, it's asking me to pick a network now and how my calculator is. I think it's probably what I call. Yeah, did, I looked into that a little bit. Did you did you ever see that uh, what was it that that campaign letter or something about the endurance transmission and the bearing wear causing rough ships? No, wait in the in the on the page or yeah. What what model truck do you have? Cascadia and they put oh, a, the Cascadia. Yeah, and they put a comment. Yeah, because there was a there was a campaign letter I think for like the five seventy nine and the five sixty seven that was something about. The clutch cover, front cover, something like that, the seal, um, some sort of counter shaft bearing wears out and then causes uh, noises during shift, rough shifts, like something like that. I'll, I'll see if I can find that letter, Dana. I'll send it to you. Um, it might be the same thing. So. All right. Okay. Thanks. Uh, like I said, it's, we pretty much learned that they're not going to do nothing big until it's broke. So, but yeah. Just wanted to reach out and wonder. Yeah, if I find that, I'll post it on there for you. All right, appreciate it. Yeah. All right, thanks for the call. Let's go to Texas this time. Paul, welcome. Howdy. What's on your mind? Well, the, the, the gas monkey garage, that video is funny right there. So. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, is that from the gas monkey? Is that where that came from? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know, but I thought it said somewhere on there, gas monkey, but it's definitely a monkey, and he's wrenching on it. So, yeah. <laughs> he's probably as good as some of the mechanics that you can find out in the trucking <laughs> repair network. So, yeah, I sent it. To, I sent it to John Walco, and uh, he liked it. And I said, "Does he work on your team?" And he didn't answer that one. Hey, hey, Bruce, <laughs> yeah. Bruce. <laughs> Next time you talk to John, tell yes. him to tell him to check in with me once in a while. I haven't heard from him in about two months. Well, he, last time I saw, he was at what was that last racetrack he was at? I think the last time I was talking to him, he was at Sebring, and that's been a while. Man, no, I forget where he was. I just saw he it on Facebook. Could be anywhere in the world. I, you oh, know, well, it's, it's, well, I know he was over he's in, in the uh, middle of racing season now. Yeah, he really is. And he got really tied in with Ferrari and he was over in Italy for their big event. And that was that he was kind of reporting in when he was first over there and then he kind of dropped off the radar. We haven't heard from him in a while. Mm-hmm. So the the one of the previous callers, the guy with the car carrier, sounds like he's got the identical truck to me, twenty fourteen ISX. Well, I have a Dorothy. And I get next to nothing out of it. I hardly even check it anymore, but I'll, I'm going to open it up uh, next time I get an oil change. It's not far away, just to see how much. But I'm wondering if he has excess idling to run PTO to load and unload or stay cool overnight. Maybe that will make a difference. I don't know. What, what do you do? I set my truck up when I get somewhere normally, and then I shut it off when I use electric PTO for all the first movements, just the little stuff. And then when I've got all my cars lined up behind, I'll get the stuff loaded on the top and mostly just use the electric PTO. And then I start it up and load the stuff on the bottom once the truck's running. So that that cuts that idling time down by two-thirds right there. Mm. So what do you do for AC Honda, at nighttime? Honda. Oh, okay. The so you're not ABU. united. Mm-hmm. Okay. 1.2 million miles, just about 10 years old. This truck has idled overnight twice. 28,331 engine hours for 1.2 million miles. Yep, there you go. So, and then the the guy running at 112,000, worried about going into the low range to go up the hills. If he can drive a manual going up, changing up and changing down, just because you're going up the hill heavy, it shouldn't change anything. You just concentrate into the low range you go. If he's really heavy and the, the hill's real steep, he might get there very quick. But mm-hmm. um, we ran about that sort of weight in New Zealand, and there was a couple of hills, switchbacks, and it got really steep real quick. You'd be quarter of a mile from the bottom of the hill, and you'd be into the low range from what from from 50, 55 mile an hour, and within a quarter of a mile, you'd be into the low range. So, hold, I, on. Oh, hold on a second. I got to get a magazine article. I was thinking of you three o'clock this morning. Just hold on a sec. But while you get the magazine article, I'll 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 fill in with a story about fast shifting. My first year of driving, and I was doing all P and D work and 
was lo- all local. And we ended up with this one stop. We had just gotten in 48 foot trailers. We had been using all 45s. We got these crazy 48 foot trailers with swing doors and tandems fixed all the way back. And they were just supposed to be line haul trailers. And we kept ending up with them in the city. It was a miserable day when you got one of these things in the city. But we were using one for this. It was just a short move. Um, it was about 20 minutes away from the terminal and then we would bring it right back. But it was barrels of something, 55 gallon drums of something. I don't remember what it is. And we'd load those things in that 48 footer. And I have no idea what it weighed. We never weighed them. And then it got broken up when it came back to the dock and sent out on different trailers. It was heavy, really heavy. You could tell. And we had a short, steep hill on a two lane. And I would get going just yep. as fast as I possibly could with that I had an old 6V92. And um, as fast as I could go with that much weight was probably about 50. And I'd hit the bottom of that hill and just start shifting so fast. You'd have to skip a gear now and then. And I'd get that thing down to like third or fourth to make it over the top of that hill. Uh, that was good practice on speed shifting. And I used to wonder, man, yeah. what the hell's going to happen if I miss a gear and stop on this hill? I, I that it terrified me. Well, like I said, it was my first year of driving too. Yeah, well that that one hill where it used to slow you down real quick in New Zealand. Many a guy, experienced and unexperienced, come to a grinding halt on yeah, that. That's scary. On that section of road. Yeah, because you'd be you. Uh oh, we lost him. He's he's still there. The line's still there, but I'm not hearing anything at all. And then a lot of oh, a lot of guys is. couldn't, a lot of guys couldn't get moving again. They, uh, it was fun and games on that piece of roadway at times. But so. that's what I was afraid of. So you know, missing a gear and coming to a stop, and then what do you do? Try to back down the hill, going. or try you know, yeah, burn out your clutch trying to get going again, well, or yeah, well, occasionally you might have to get someone to break out the chain and hook it on the front. Give me a hand up the hill. So or, or push. I never had it happen. I guess okay. I was lucky. couple yeah. truck tires and try pushing from the back. Yeah. So on, on Saturday, the Saturday just gone, I had to put some new tires on my drive axles. So while I had the wheels off, because I had uh, three positions off, put six tires on. So I was looking at my brake shoes, my disc pads, I should say. So 1.2 million miles, and I thought I should probably finally replace them because I got one that's right down to the minimum. So I went around to the Peterbilt dealer. They didn't have any brake pads in stock. They're going to have them this week, so I'll be changing my brake pads next week at 1.2 million. Out of a set of brake pads, disc pads. Wow. You know, the... The, the trucks I ran for years at FedEx, I would go to 1.2, 1.3 million. I don't ever remember doing brakes. Hello. Did you have exhaust brakes, Kevin? Jake brakes? Uh, Jake brakes. And that hand valve works really good, too. Oh, you Use their brakes instead of mine. Yeah, I, I don't remember ever really doing <laughs> brakes on trucks. I mean, we had a, we had a, you know, we had a straight line haul run. You, you got on the interstate in Orlando, you got off the interstate, you know, 260 miles later, 
I hardly ever used the brakes. And when I did, I used the Jake brake and the hand valve and my brakes lasted longer than I kept trucks. <laughs> yeah. So, Hey Paul, did you ever hear from New Zealand? The guys, uh, he quit school and, uh, when he was 15, started building boats. He couldn't get people to build a boat he wanted, so he got a couple of friends, and they started building their own boats, and he, he's built 60 yachts in his life, I think mostly sailboats. Neville Critch, Critchton has uh, been very successful, didn't even hey, finish high school. Hey, speaking of boats, <laughs> did, did you see what's going on with races like the World Cup and the new foil craze? No, I haven't. I, I, I have a neighbor who's a yacht broker. He spends his winters in Florida, and he, he's originally from this area, so he's got a house right here near me. And I was talking to him the other day, and if I, I don't know a whole lot about the World Cup and speeds and that, but I, I think he said something like they're reaching speeds of like 65 miles, 65 knots now in sailboats because of these foils. Yeah, they look like they're flying. Yeah, and I guess the World yeah. Cup has just been transformed with this. I heard a guy fell off a of one, and before they could get the boat slowed down and turned around and back to him, he was in the water. It was twelve or fifteen minutes. I'll bet. I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm starting to watch the uh, forecast this week, the wind forecast here in the gorge, because I'm about to break out my wing foil set up and and jump in the cold water man the water is so cold right now it's all runoff from from the mountains but uh the winds have just this weekend if i if it wouldn't have been a holiday weekend i wasn't going anywhere near the river um and i had too much to do but i think it's time this week i think i'm going to break mine out what what's the perfect wind speed for you the faster the better like I haven't uh, be careful. I, yeah, I haven't found. Well, part of the issue was I started late in the summer last year doing this and our winds kind of die down. So we weren't getting anything above like 30 knots, 25 to 30 knots. I absolutely love. I mean, you got a nice, strong oh, pull wow. then. Here's the difference, Bruce. You remember well, maybe you didn't. I mean, I'm sure at some point you tried to water ski behind something other than a ski boat, right? Not very often. Uh, yeah, no. I, di I didn't um, think so with you. I, I goofed yeah. around on, I've slalom skied behind a 35 horse pontoon boat, um, but it's really, really mm. difficult and you better be good before you ever try it. You know, learning that way would be insane. Yeah. But that, that's kind of like this. You get those kind of weak wind days where you get a gust and then it dies. It's just too hard to learn like that. And I'm still learning. So I, I had, one day, I think, where I just had steady, like 27, 28 knot winds. And I learned more on that day than ever. So I really like those 25 to 30 knot days. I imagine if I got up 35, 40 knots, it'd probably, probably make it real challenging as well. Yeah. We were in 20 knot wind all weekend. It was not fun. You know, here, here's the interesting thing. With the wing itself, I'm holding that wing. And if I have a really strong wind, I can just feather the wing out and I can just bleed off a lot of that power. But if I don't have enough wind, there's nothing I can do. Sure. Well, you keep the wind on the West Coast. We don't want it here on the East Coast. Well, you know, I'll tell you, my two favorite hobbies in the summertime are exact opposite. 
I, I want crazy high winds so I can go out and foil, but the biggest problem I deal with in my garden is all that wind. I always thought that uh, we have a lot of sailboats and they don't even go out whenever it's 25 knot wind. And I thought that was perfect for sailing, but yeah, we've, we've got, we've got a big sailing club here in town. Uh, they use all those really yeah. tiny little, like one person. Um, they're always yeah. out there with all kinds of stuff. Yeah. What else you got, Paul? Um, rear end ratios. When I was talking with Joel at Mid America, Louisville Truck Show, and uh, if I get around to building this Volvo, he told me I should go with a 195 rear end ratio. Wow. Who said that? Who said that? Joel Morrow. Because I got the shorter, shorter tires. Oh, that's uh, right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. And yeah. So one ninety five rear end ratio. We're down yeah. in the very very low twos on that setup now, but that's right. With your small tires, he, that would be what you would have to adjust by. I, I it's going to be hard talking about what? ratios in the one nineties. That's crazy. Uh, what are you driving now? What ratio? Three oh eight. Three oh eight and eighteen speed, right? No, thirteen. Thirteen. So, at, what's your given speed? What's your RPM? Uh, 60. Oh, I did have that written down on you, you'd ask one day. Um, hang on a minute. I'll tell you the speed. Oh, lovely smooth road. Not. Uh, four, I'm hurrying today. I'm doing 65, 1390, 1400. It's top gear. Okay. So, what speed do you normally drive? 62 normally but i got i got a late start because of the i had to get my annual inspection done on the, which i had done on the weekend but the dispatcher he couldn't attach a load to me until the people in the safety department it, oh okay the inspection's done he can go to work now well i needed a stack of paperwork to leave at the port because i got multiple loads to do so i didn't want to waste time to pulling into a truck stop, print paperwork off and paying for it when I could print it off at home. So I didn't leave till about 9 o'clock this morning. Okay. So at 65 mile an hour, this was the Peterbilt that Al Hammerson used to drive. Uh, 65 in 18th gear, low pro 225, 308s. At 65, he was at 1265. And what did you say you're at? Uh, 1390, 1400 at top 13 with 308. Yeah. Yeah. And at 62, I'm about 1360, 1370, which is normal. So, as I rule, of taking 308 minus 90 would put you in the 220, 222, 228 range. But uh, apparently, Joel wants you to bring that RPM down lower. That's why he's saying the 190s. Wow. Yeah, yeah we one, can. Yeah, 195. So. We can run the Volvo and the Mac engines down at 900 cruise speed. Because. It's because if I, if, I, if I can build this Volvo exactly like I want it, the VNL will be for very nice and low because it will be a, might be the lowest Volvo they ever built if I get exactly what I want. So. Sounds like it. Hey, Bruce, I was just um, yeah. thinking about something. I'm not sure if I'm thinking about this correctly or not. So when you and I started, 411 gears were pretty common, right? That's right. I remember a lot of 411s, 413s. Very, 
Uh, well, very few trucks had 390s, and man, when you went to 370s, oh, that right. was like a huge <laughs> And we really didn't see 355s become popular until electronic engines. Um, so if we were, That's right. there was... if we were at four something, so that means we're turning four to the drive shaft's turning four times roughly for every one time the wheel's turning. If we're now under two, aren't we more than halfway to not having any gearing at all? I mean, wouldn't I mean if we get down under one, you're getting close to direct, right? It's going to be one to one when I, I we're not going to get there, but it's kind of interesting to think about it that way. Am I thinking about that right? Yeah. I'd have to give that one some thought. I know. Uh, hmm. But then you think about we had single over, we had 12, 5, 13 speeds that were a 0. 0.85, 0. 0.83. No, point, I'm sorry. Yeah, 0. 0.85 or 0. 0.87 overdrive. But we ran 24.5 tall rubber. Right. And we also ran engines that were 1,900 to 2,200 RPM. Right. So you know, I, I difference. Uh, so if you take a if you take a four eleven, and if you took the tall twenty four five off and put the low pro twenty two five, that ooh. would be equivalent to about a three fifty five gear. But then we had the higher RPM in the engine. Wait a minute, I think you might have said that backwards. Is that right? I was thinking about something else when you said that, but. If we put a smaller tire on, it would end up being like 450-somethings, not 350s. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I did say that backwards. Okay. Um, hmm. Yeah, it'd be crazy. And that's why those tires probably yeah. didn't exist back then or, or you know, certainly weren't used <laughs> well, with those kind of gears. Well, well the, the gearing, the 411 with the tall rubber would be equivalent yes, to there. the 355 Got it. Right. with the low pro. Right. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, interesting. Yeah. I always figured if you got a three, you got a three seventy, and you go to a three thirty six, that would be about going from tall twenty four to low pro twenty two five. You know, you got to give or take a little bit of RPM because we we can't say we exactly we want right. this gear ratio right. or exactly this. So. All right, but yeah, Paul with the car haulers dealing with a really small tire, so. We got to go to an even higher yeah. gear ratio, lower number. That's why this gets complicated when you start talking about it, because it's, you know, higher ratio, lower number. You can say it either way. So we're going to yeah. grab another call. We're going to really, go. Oh, go ahead. I think I got the answer for that guy with the uh, transmission vibration, because I had it in a pack car, and it was an air leak going into to, to, for, the, for the actuators. Really? And it wasn't there wasn't enough pressure in there. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, they all, yeah they they also had the same problem though that uh, Leroy was talking about, talking about um, with the uh, the shaft was uh, vibrating out too though we had that problem with, with my other truck but uh, there definitely was the air on the one I'm driving now and they found it and they obviously they fixed the air leak and it had more pressure to shift the gears. Oh, that's a good that tip. Hopefully Thanks. that helps. Maybe you can somewhere yeah. to look at. That helps a lot. Yep. Thank yeah. you, guys. All right. Yep. Thanks for the call. That was a quick one. Let's go. Oh, he hung up. Let's go to Idaho. Gary, welcome to the program. Hi there. 
Remember, I called about a month ago. I've got a 98 1LW cat engine. I was a little worried about too high of turbo boost. I have the HP Turbo from Pittsburgh Power, and Bruce recommended I switch. I think the HP is a 78 by 132, and he recommended yes. I put the 145 housing on. Right. So I, and he said to call back with how the numbers run so with the hp turbo the 132 running and so when i haul 125,000 pounds on on nine axles so i haul the same load often so i can have pretty good comparison running loaded at in 17th gear 66 67 mile an hour 1500 rpm 20 pounds of boost 625 on the pyrometer 180 water temperature Loaded, pulling hard on the hill. Well, pulling on the hill, I would only let it, I'd keep the boost around 35. It would run clear up to 45. I'd keep it about 35 to 40. It would have 35, 35, 40 pounds of boost, 700 pyrometer, 190 water temperature, 1500 RPM at 26, 27 mile an hour. So with the 145 uh, housing, exhaust housing, Loaded at that 17th gear, 66, 67 mile an hour. I dropped down to nine to 10 pounds of boost, six and a quarter pyrometer, 180 water. Loaded, pulling that same hill, uh, 32 pounds of boost, 33, 800 pyrometer, 190 uh, water temperature, 30 miles an hour. So the 145 will pull harder, but the boost doesn't go as high. And the reason for that is you're letting the exhaust get out of the engine <clears throat> through the turbo. Now, we get a lot of guys try the 145, and they say the turbo's too lazy for them. Well, they got used to quick response. But then again, they're at 80,000, where you're at 125,000. So it's worked for you. I mean, that's beautiful drop from 20-pound of boost to 9 and 10. You can. You should feel the truck run more free. Do you feel that when you're on oh, the yeah. level and you're going along? You're not pushing the truck. Well, you you don't notice it that much because I mean it runs so free and it's very enjoyable. But like say when you're pulling, you can feel that baby's got got more pull than it did before. You might have taken a little bit off of the low RPM throttle response because I mean it was snappy but not enough to really notice and i like the 145 housing a lot better than the 132 it pulls yeah. in a lot better my mileage is probably up two tenths with the difference good. yeah uh, i like it a lot that's good that's good and like i said you know turbochargers especially on the older engines uh, it's it's not one size fits all uh, Different people like different things. You got to look at the load. You got to look at the terrain. You got to look at the speed and and the exhaust system. And you got to look at the boost gauge and the EGT gauge. And then you can make determinants, determinations. Yeah. Well, it's working good for me pulling that kind of a load. Uh, you know, gravity is real with that much weight, whether you're going uphill or downhill. And I like I like this better. Well, that's good. I'm I'm glad you're happy with it. Thanks for yeah. calling and giving us the details, and thanks for writing that down. That really helps, because when you were giving it to me, I was writing it down. I'd like to see that thermocouple in the exhaust manifold in front of number four cylinder. 
to um, see the difference. Instead of 800, then it should be at, at 11, 1150, which yeah. is still pretty cold. I mean, um, is this in a 379? Yeah, it's in a 379 with that, you know, 1LW cat. Yeah. It's got. Uh, and what do you have for mufflers? I have your performance muffler in it. Straight okay. pipes, and then I put the performance muffler because uh, Montana requires you to have a muffler now. So Is the muffler down beside the transmission? Yes. Seems to work best right there. It seems to be the best combination. Straight stacks with the quiet performance muffler beside the transmission. Yeah. Uh, I didn't notice any difference on that. I just had to do that to not get a ticket in Montana all the time. So We had a father and son team from Pittsburgh area. They had uh, multiple trailers, and the son did that to his 379 with a cat and gained a model of a gallon. Yeah, Straight stacks uh, with the muffler, muffler beside, laying on its side beside the transmission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Think I, of that I like one, Kevin. Why, why, why does the muffler closer to the engine make that much of a difference? Is the fact that it's staying hotter? I think so. That that heat actually yeah. allows, as it stays hotter, it flows out easier. That's right. That's right. The, the it, 379, it's, it, the 51-inch long muffler will fit in that. It's, in essence, you, you've extended your turbo wraps and your exhaust wraps. Same idea. We're just trying to keep that heat in as long as we can because it flows easier. Yeah. That's great. All right. Thanks Thanks. for the call. Let's go to California. Joe, welcome to the program. This will be uh, our final call for the day. So, Joe, you got the final word. What's on your mind today? Well, I got a uh, 2016 uh, Cascadia with a DD15 I bought in January with 430,000. I got 490 now. I've done, uh, I had them um, clean the, uh, uh, bake the uh, DPF filters at uh, DPF Alternative. And uh, I run the ca- uh, I run the catalyst, but the problem I'm having now is it's intermittent. My, the uh, and then coming off, coming on, coming off. And whenever I pull over to check it, it's got no code no more. So it's got to be a loose wire somewhere. Any ideas? Um, does it give a code at all, or like because you said the check no. engine like on? Is there anything stored or no? Well, I, I can't read the stored information. I only um, with the with the it only shows me active codes. Uh, so by the time I by the time I pull over, it's inactive, and it's just flashing check, and then it'll, it'll come on and off, on and off. So I guess I what I'm going to have to do is go into a shop and have them read the inactive codes, huh? Yeah, I mean, because I, I could speculate a, a ton of things, but, you know, they're probably all going to be wrong. <laughs> so, I mean, without <laughs> number, it's just like, it could be, you know, DPF temperature too high. It could be a wiring issue. It could be a, a ton of things, so... Um, yeah, I really have no idea. <laughs> but they're able to do the codes, right? Oh. Uh, I kind of broke up there. What was that? I'm sorry. With the computer, you can read the inactive codes. Yeah, yep, yep. Okay, so I guess I'll just take another shot. Another note, uh, Bruce, you'd appreciate this, but uh, I have a cat on my catwalk. I got a motorcycle lift, and I bring my Harley with me everywhere so I can unload and unwind at night if I need to. Hey, isn't it amazing if you just go for a half-hour ride on some back roads, how it frees the mind? Uh-oh. I think we lost. We yeah. Oh, there he is. 
Hold on. He's out in his mind. Yeah, there, I'm back. Sorry. Going through standing here. Do you find that even if you just get a half hour to an hour on some back roads, how how it just frees the mind? Does it do that to you? Oh, I love it. I've been riding bikes since I was a kid. My dad was a motorcycle instructor. I used to own um, several motorcycle safety schools before I drove truck. And uh, I've had a bike all my life, and it's the best thing ever. Well, why don't now you – do you ever get into Maryland or uh, D.C., Baltimore, or Pittsburgh in the summertime? Yeah, I'm gonna. I need to get my overhead done. I haven't had that done since I bought this truck, so I got to make an appointment with you guys for that. Well, let me know when you're going to be there. If you're going to be in Maryland, I have them hardly in each place. I'd like to go for a ride. I've got some great back roads in both places. Yeah, what I do now is um, I call myself semi-retarded because I take loads to where I want a vacation, and then I take the bike off and go have fun. <laughs> there you go. I've done that. I take I take the Harley and two bicycles with us, and sometimes, like when we went to the Outer Banks, I think we spent a total of an hour at the beach. The rest of the time, we either bicycled or we rode motorcycle. Yeah, well, I mean, I just went to Daytona Beach for Bike Week, and then I went to Myrtle Beach for Bike Week, and then I did. I'm going to be going to Sturgis, you know, stuff like that. Okay. I took a load. I took a load to Montana last year and drove all the way through uh, Yellowstone. That was fun. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you get to do that. All right. Well, let me know when you're going to be in either place. I will. All right. Thanks for the call. We're going to wrap this up today. Anybody with any final words of wisdom? No, that'll be for next week. Got it. We'll try to be wiser. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. We okay. uh, Let's see. What do we got going on this week? Tomorrow. Uh Big day on Destination Health tomorrow. I've got uh, a returning guest. Chris Kresser is going to be joining us. That's always a good show. So then we will jump over to Twitter Health Spaces for Drivers. Uh, Thursday, Thursday's still kind of a crazy schedule. Thursday's the day we've got to work on, but I've got to move rolling toe around and I don't want to keep messing with their schedule till I get something figured out. So Thursday will be an hour free for all here on the app. Then we go into rolling toe in the second hour, and then we go to Twitter spaces in the third hour. I think we're just going to jump straight to spaces this week with Jamie. We'll see. We may do another hour here. I don't know. Thursdays are still kind of a mess. Uh, Friday, uh, I'd like the new schedule on Friday. I do an hour free for all on Friday morning, which is a new hour of free-for-all and then we go to twitter spaces for trucking technology and efficiency so we'll see you then be safe be profitable be fit and healthy always do the hard work and master the journey